show number 24 of I Read Comics. Isn't that sexist? No, it's not sexist. Okay. Well, why do you think, why do you think it's sexist? She's All a girl. Right. She reads comic books. What the fuck? Okay. All right, but I mean, like, you know, ooh, so she's a girl. <laughs> what are you trying to say? That, you know, girls can't do this kind I'm of not, stuff? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm just saying that. You know, I know. It sounds to me like you are. I, well, she happens to be a, a girl, and she reads comics. I mean, what, 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 what am I supposed to say? Like... This is oh, like, like you've never met a girl person? who reads comics before? I mean, no, I've, 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 uh, dude, I've gone out with girls who read comics. I mean, what the hell? You have not. You've never even kissed a girl. Shut up. I have too. Once. So anyway, um, yeah, just uh, keep reading. Uh, I mean, sorry, keep uh, listening to uh, I read comics, and uh, I'm not sexist. So have a good one. You know what's interesting, though, is that I do hear from guys who say that they never met a girl who read comics before, or at least one who admitted it. So that little promo was courtesy of Dave and Charlie from the Comic Makers podcast. I thought that was pretty funny, so thank you for making that. In fact, the whole first part of the show is just going to be a lot of thank yous, so I'll just get right to it. Thank you to everybody who sent me birthday wishes. It was awfully nice. Another thank you to Dave from Comic Makers for sending me a great gift which there's a picture of on the blog. It's a Wonder Woman mini statue, and it is just the coolest thing. The thing that I love about it, which you actually can't see in the picture, is that she's posed. It's one of those DC Direct models. Um, She's posed with her leg up looking all strong and buff, and um, there's her helmet, and there's a bunch of spears sticking up. And from the front, you can't see what the spears are sticking in, but when you turn it around, the spears are sticking in a bunch of skulls. It's awesome. It, like, turns this whole new <laughs> thing on her that she's got these spears sticking out of skulls. So I really like that. And, you know, I like to keep the front part showing, but then sometimes I have to turn it around and, you know, look at the back part for some kind of wicked inspiration. So that's really cool. So thanks, Dave. I love that. That's a great thing. Um, and I also have to take a moment now to thank everybody who's been sending me comics because people spontaneously have just been sending me stuff and it's great and not just comics either, um, audio files and stuff via the internet. So I, I want to thank everybody who's been sending me stuff and, um, David 
from Comic Makers is at the top of the list because he's just sent me boxes of things, DVDs and books and audio stuff. It's great. Um, so thank you, David Arroyo. Thank you, Chris Vaccaro, for sending me Promethea. Thank you, Shane Kelly, for sending me Kingdom Come. Thank you, Robert Chang, for sending me She-Hulk and Bully Pulpit and Smacks and a bunch of other things. Um, thank you, Michael Cohen, for sending me um, the hard copies of your webcomic stuff and, and the other things that you sent along. Um, and thank you, Ginger, for the great birthday present food that you sent because those little fruit squares definitely were from Satan and they're all gone now, sadly. So I just feel so lucky that people are willing to just spontaneously up and send me stuff. Um, another place that I need to thank in person place is Rory Root from Comic Relief. Um, the interview that I did with him actually got put out in a couple of different places, so I got a lot more traffic from it than I thought, and thank you to the people who wrote and said it was a good interview and that I should do more interviews, and I will be doing more interviews, and I'll tell you about that at the end of the show. And Rory and I had been talking about ways that we might help each other, so starting with this show, Comic Relief is going to be an official sponsor of this podcast, which doesn't mean that they give me money or anything, it just means that we're going to find ways to help each other and there might be a little publicity for my show in the store, which is just so totally awesome to me because I love Comic Relief and when I was there I bought a bunch of stuff and I'm going to be going back to get more. So now, like old time radio, I'm going to try to do a live commercial for Comic Relief and I think that this will get better in future shows, but for now I will just say... You should go to Comic Relief. It is the mecca for Bay Area comic book fans. It's located at 2026 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley, California. Open from Wednesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. and Sunday to Tuesday from 11 to 8 p.m. It is a wonderful place and probably will have whatever it is that you're looking for. And if they don't have it, they can get it for you. Um, they do have a website. It's at comicrelief.net, but Rory was telling me that it's kind of broken right now, so there's not a whole lot of stuff there other than um, some information about past events that they've had at the store and the location and the hours. But I think that the site is going to be revamped, and there will be some pretty happening cool stuff there in future. I should also mention that for, since the beginning, this podcast has been sponsored by the Lincoln Heights Literary Society and the Journal of the Lincoln Heights Literary Society, and it will continue to be sponsored by it. That's a literary venture that my friend Ginger Mayerson has been leading, and I've been involved in it. I've written some stuff, and I've edited some stuff. There's a journal, like a literary magazine, that comes out more or less quarterly, which may be coming out a lot less frequently. There is a new issue that's coming out really soon, which is the fiction issue, and I've got some silly stuff in there. The more interesting part right now is the reviews that are happening, and I will put up the link, as I always do, to that. And I've written a bunch of reviews. There are a lot of comics reviewed there, not just stuff that I've done. A lot of manga gets reviewed there, too. So if you're looking for some current reviews, hop on over there. The writing is extremely high quality, and... People send us stuff all the time to get reviewed, so there's a lot of really current things. So if you're looking for some current manga reviews, not just print manga either, but DVDs that get sent to us as well, that is a good place to go. So I, I take pride in being part of it. It's, it's a good venture, and it will continue. Another thank you has to go out to the blog Women in Comics, which is also known as When Fangirls Attack. And I mentioned it briefly in 
a previous podcast, and lo and behold, the women who run it have continued to reference this podcast, and in fact, giving the timestamps of certain times when I've talked specifically about issues affecting women or women's involvement in comics. And I'm grateful to that because I know that they have a lot of readers, and it's really interesting to just see my blog pop up in there. It's a great blog. They're always scouring the net for interesting news about women and comics and women in comics. I have it on my blog line, so I read it all the time. The two women who run it also have really interesting blogs of their own, which I will put up links to. Um, their handles on, on um, their blogs are Ragnell and Kalinara. Kalinara especially is a huge Green Lantern fan, and, and so is Ragnell. And they write a, in incredible, minute, intense detail about Green Lantern stuff that I don't know because like, I haven't followed it in so long. And, and I think the way that they found my stuff was partly through the um, Paul Pelletier's and Ass Freak stuff. So it's really cool to read what they have to say, and I like their perspectives, and they do go back and look at some of the old DC stuff that I had talked about before, like with the DC um, romance comics and um, the best um, imaginary stories. So they really like to get their fingers into it, and, and I think that they're both really, really good blogs. So I'm going to link them both up there. Ragnell's is called Written World, and Kalinara's is called Pretty Fizzy Paradise, and they're both well worth reading. Um... Let's see. Any more thank yous? I think that might be it for the thank yous. A couple other web-related things that I wanted to talk about. This is going to be a very um, far-ranging show because I'm talking about a lot of different media. I wanted to wish happy first anniversary to Dave's Longbox, one of my other favorite blogs that I absolutely have to read every time he posts something new. He's been doing it for a whole year, and I feel lucky that I was able to come to it right after he had started it, so... I've seen how it's grown, and oh man, he is so freaking funny. I love the stuff that he does. I love all the scans. I I love that he has all this stuff in his comic book collection and can seemingly pull out the most interesting things at random and write about it. So if you haven't read Dave's Longbox, please go there and read it. You will not be disappointed. A whole year. I, I can't say that I've been around a year, but he's been doing it for a year. I found another blog that I thought was extremely interesting and I at this point I can't even remember how I found it but it was probably through uh, somebody's blog you know one of those blog things where you click on a link and you click on a link and you click on a link and eventually you end up in a place where you didn't really expect to be but it's really cool anyway Um, this blog is called polite descent and it's run by a guy named Scott Morrison who's a doctor Um, Partly what he blogs about are medical things. Um, He also reviews episodes of House as they come out. Um, But he also writes a lot about comics. So the subtitle of Polite Descent, which is located at politedescent.com, is Comics, Medicine, Politics, and Fun. And he takes different comic books and sort of reviews them from a medical point of view as to whether the medicine that's contained in the plot and in the art is accurate or not. Um, whether it's plausible and how it relates to medicine as as he knows it and has he how he has experienced it as a doctor and it's so much fun it's really cool to see this totally different perspective and you know I have one of those weird fascinations for medical stuff anyway you know I'll I'll go and read about um, weird procedures and the strangest things that have ever happened in emergency rooms and things like that um, he's a really good writer 
and he often provides interesting illustrations. So he scans images from the comics, but then he'll also put in actual photos of the medical condition, um, CAT scans and x-rays and diagrams and stuff to show you exactly what he's talking about, which I think is really, really cool. So I can hardly recommend Polite Descent. Um, I don't know where he finds the time to do all this stuff, being that he's a doctor and all, but I'm really, really happy that he's doing it. And to close this segment, I will mention one more thing, which was that I did a little guest spot for the guys at Around Comics, which is at aroundcomics.com. They have a podcast, and they were doing a special show on manga, so I contributed a very, very small audio comment about um, Yaoi and why I like it. So if you want to go over there and listen to it, you certainly should do that, because they have a good podcast. And it looks like I might actually be on one of their shows coming up if we can get the scheduling sorted out. So that would be a fun thing. So that is all of the upfront stuff. Let's take a little musical break, and then we will be back with some actual content, because I know you just want me to shut up and get to the comic reviews. first thing that we got is the trade paperback of Smacks, which is by Alan Moore, Xander Cannon, and Andrew Curry. This came out, well, it came out in 2004. It was set just after the events in Top Ten. Now, I read Top Ten a while ago, and I talked about it, and I really liked it. I thought it was very cool. Uh, a, A whole new concept of the city of superheroes, and what it would be like if everybody had powers, and the juxtaposition of that world with the standard police drama that w- that was put in it. So it was great. This is a little spin-off of it, which is just about one of the characters in there. Um, Jeff Moxon is his real name, but he's the giant blue guy with the big white handprint on his chest. And his partner was given the codename Toybox, and her real name is Robin. And a lot of what happened in Top Ten was through her point of view, because she was the newest person on the police force. So this is right after the events there, and you can tell that because Robin's leg is still in a cast. when That happened during the events of um, the Top Ten book. And this, it's totally different. I really didn't know what to expect from this. So the original Top Ten was funny, and it was also really dramatic in most places. And it was gritty, because it was a police drama. It was... Um, the kind of cop stuff you see on TV and people got killed and there were some nasty things that went on in there. This book is really pretty much played for comedy with one exception, which I'll get to in a second. The art is really different because in Top Ten, most of it was done by Gene Ha and here um, the penciling is done by Xander Cannon who has a very different style. So everybody looks different and it took me a little while to get used to that. Uh, Smacks doesn't look like the way he did in the other book. He's a lot smaller. He's still really big, but he's not as big as he was in the other book, and he's less threatening. And in this book, he's sort of 
he's stupid, which we knew before, um, and he's just kind of cranky, and he's really embarrassed to have to take Robin back to his home world, which is what the whole plot of this was. There were some references to that in the original Top Ten, that he came from a different place, and he has a kind of a weird dream that he's not too sure about, and he has a mysterious thing in his closet that we never quite see what it is. So in this book, we find out that it's a singing sword, and turns out that on his home world, which is one of the many alternate Earths that exists, um, he was a dragon slayer, and his home world is a place where all of the fairy tales of Earth are true. So every fable and every fairy tale is there in some way, and he tells about his background and how he was um, raised by an ogre until he finally killed him, and then he was adopted by dwarves, um, and all of the things that happened, and he became a dragon slayer to help pay the bills, um, and talks about his career, and so he has come back to be there for the funeral of his uncle, and it forces him to confront his past, which past, which sounds really serious, but it's not. I mean, the whole thing really is played for big, big laughs. There's a lot of extremely funny stuff in it. Um, I got used to the art, and I liked it after a while, although I was never really happy about the way Robin was drawn. I just didn't think she looked as um, sort of approachable as she had done in the original Top Ten, but that's really a minor quibble. So here's some of the serious stuff. I guess the first really serious thing is that when he's talking, when Smax is talking about his upbringing, he, he reveals that he has a twin sister who looks just like him. And by the way, I love her. Her name is Rexa. She looks great. I mean, she's huge, she's blue, she's really built, and she wears this great um, kind of fur bikini outfit, and she's smarter than Smacks, which is nice, too. And I just think she's a wonderful, wonderful character. Um, and so, uh, the ogre that, that raised them after their mother died, um, he is their father, and um, starts to uh, abuse her, and that's why Smacks ends up killing him, and that's pretty serious and pretty dark. Um, the other really dark thing that happened, which I didn't expect, and I was a little bit shocked, um, not because it was badly drawn or anything, but because it was actually so well drawn. Um, he, in his career as a dragon slayer, he has to rescue a little girl from the biggest, meanest, most badass MF dragon of all, um, all called Morning Bright. And, um, he's unsuccessful. It's the first time that he doesn't actually kill the dragon and rescue the prisoner. And this little girl gets killed and it's drawn. I mean, it really shows you what happened and it's, it's quite horrible. It reminded me in, in the panel where she actually gets killed by the dragon's flame of, um, some of those really awful films that you've seen of the, the testing that they did with nuclear bombs and, and what happens to flesh when the atomic blast hits it. Um, and she sort of just dissolves into dust. And the mark on his chest, that handprint, is her handprint where her hand was when this terrible thing happened. And it's really affecting. And I think it it brings something to his character. You see a little bit more of why he is the way he is. But it also really points up that living in a world where fables are real and monsters are real is not all fun and games. It's funny because it... The world seems, that aspect of it is, is played for comedy right at the very beginning when Robin and Smacks first arrive there and she looks out and she says, oh, it's beautiful. And he says, well, don't look at me. I said it was a dump. Um, 
as they're walking around, you see off to the side a bunch of different rabbit characters kicking the shit out of the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. I guess they're mugging him or something. And you're like, ah, that's pretty funny. And and you see other things, and they go to a city, and, you know, there's like a rough part of the city um, <laughs> where all these fable characters are. Um, so th- a lot of the, the dark side stuff is, is played for laughs, but that, that part of it, I thought, was just so well done. And you know, necessary, because it leads up to the whole point of the book, which is that he has to go and finally kill the dragon and release the spirits of all of the children that the dragon had taken over time. And I have to say, I thought the art actually got a lot better towards the end as they start on this quest, and they're going through these huge caverns and coming up with all this, uh, meeting up with these really scary things. The art kind of got exponentially better. I was really, really pleased by that. It was very scary and dark looking and creepy and definitely otherworldly. It stops looking like Earth and definitely looks like another place, another time. So that was all really good. Um, I noticed, uh, well, like Top Ten, there are tons of in-jokes packed into it where cartoon characters from other series are drawn in the panels. There's a little bit less of that once it gets to the Fables world because there's just not that much, but there's a lot of funny Fable characters thrown in there. Um, I, I have been looking around online. I haven't found it yet, but whether someone has done an annotation to this as the way there was an annotation for Top Ten that actually identified most of the characters in the panels because I could swear that... Um, in the panel, let's see if I can actually give you the page number on it. When uh, Smacks and Robin are going through Neopolis to the uh, the teleportation center, down in one corner, I guess this is like uh, page six, there are two women with their backs to, to us, and um, they both have black hair, and one of them is wearing... Yeah, it's got to be. It's Luba in her two different incarnations. I can tell now because one of them's carrying a hammer, which is her her symbol. And um, you can't see her from the front. Of course, if you did see her from the front, you'd know it was her because she has the biggest tits in the universe. Um, I thought it was really interesting because the way she's drawn is the way she very she appeared for the very first time in Love and Rockets when she wasn't really the character that she became later on. And she had this mohawk and was dressed in this... Um, sort of fur um, bikini outfit thing. But yeah, I was looking at it going, ah, that's got to be Luba. Now that I'm looking at it, there's the hammer. So it's definitely her. So, hey, one point for me, I recognize something cool in there. Um, the other thing about this is that once they get to um, the city, they it, it quickly becomes very Python-esque. They have to go to an office to get a permit to for him to go dragon slaying. And the guy who's in charge of handing out the permits is um, one of the deaths there are many deaths, and his name is Lionel, and he looks like Brian Eno in a cowl. Um, and he starts talking about the the guy who's the big death, whose name is Dennis. And, of course, Dennis is a very Python name that's popped up lots of times. And, um, you know, it's so funny to give a big, powerful character, like the meanest death there is, a, a name like Dennis. So I appreciated those little touches there, too. And, and Dennis finally does show up in the end, and he is pretty big and mean, but... Um, he, he he talks like a Python character. Now, the one thing I have to say about this, so so I like this. I thought it was a really good thing. I'm kind of interested to read the other top ten books, too, but I can definitely recommend this. Um, how come, when I was talking about incest in comics a while ago, nobody mentioned this to me? Because that's one of the main themes of this book, is incest between Smacks and his sister. And I love the way it's done. I think it's portrayed really well, and there's nothing... 
disgusting about it and they live happily ever after, which I think is totally cool. And I'm just amazed that A, I never heard of it before and B, that nobody ever mentioned this to me when I was putting out those questions about incest in comic books because um, this is just, it's great. And, you know, I guess what, it makes it okay because they're fairy tale characters or something like that. I don't know, but, um, I think it's pretty cool. So that gets a big thumbs up from me. Moving right along to the other thing I wanted to talk about in some depth is the first six issues of Dan Slott's She-Hulk, which I have as individual issues and not as a trade paperback, although they are collected in a trade. Um, and I put the link up to that at the blog and, Ginger had been telling me for a long time that She-Hulk was really cool, and I just never got around to picking it up, but now I finally have it. And I'm really happy because I like it a lot. I think it's really good. I don't know that I'm going to like run out there and start buying the new issues of it because they, it's into, the, I think, the 30s by now, so the, it's gone on quite a bit. These originally came out in 2004. Um, but it, it's really cool. It's an interesting, funny take on a character that's been around for an awfully long time. Um, in these six issues... There was a switch in art. The first um, four, I think, were drawn by um, Juan Babillo, who's a um, South American artist. He has a very, very distinct, cartoony type of style. And then it switches to my favorite artist, Paul Pelletier, the ass guy. And I think I like the way he draws She-Hulk a little bit better because it's not quite so stylized. And for me, I I think for She-Hulk, it almost needs to be more of a superhero uh, classic superhero look to it. But I thought the setup was really interesting that she works for a superhuman law firm. You know, how many comic books about lawyers do you see? Um, how many comics about lawyers in general, with the exception of, you know, Hawkman on Adult Swim? So that's kind of cool. And, and th- there's a, a tie here between the universe of Top Ten and what's going on with She-Hulk, because in Top Ten, comic book characters are the everyday reality, and in She-Hulk... Um, they're acknowledging the fact that they live in the Marvel universe and that Marvel characters can just kind of step in whenever they want to. Doctor Strange is there. Um, Spider-Man is there. The the thing is there. People just kind of drift in and out. You know, She-Hulk used to be part of the Avengers and Scarlet Witch is there as, as she's moving out of um, the Avengers mansion. So it, it all uh, assumes you have a little bit of knowledge about the Marvel universe, but it doesn't require that you have it. And it treats everything... Um, semi-ironically, I would say, but still with really good stories around it. So I like the meta aspects of it, especially in issue two, where um, in her guise as a human, Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk needs to do some research. um, And the the way that they got around the whole... um, her origin and and how she is what she is now is just by explaining that these comic book characters... They became comic book characters because in, in quote, real life, the superheroes license themselves to be part of comic books. And she has to reflect on the fact that she herself is a comic book character. And you see pages of the original art from when she made her debut back in um, 1979, 1980, which is kind of neat. So that whole meta thing is is cool and everything is treated with a good dose of humor. I like the fact that she's allowed to be really sexual and get to bang lots of guys and that's cool. Um, they show her as this really out of control party girl at first and she needs to tone that down a little bit because she ends up destroying a lot of the Avengers mansion. Um, and, and I like the fact that they've set it up so that all these different characters and villains too that we're familiar with can have little walk on parts and have her deal with it. 
there are still some things about it that bug me a little bit. Um, Bobbio's art, the, the thing I don't like about the way he draws her is that all of his female characters have these um, really stylized female faces where they have almost no features. Their features are really, really small in these really, really big childlike faces. So her face ends up looking extremely girlish. Um, and she has very wide set eyes and a teeny weeny weeny little mouth. And it's a little bit at odds with the way he draws her body, of course, which is, you know, really big and muscular. And of course she has this tiny, tiny little nipped in waist. So she ends up looking, um, a little bit like she's wearing padded muscles and that just doesn't kind of do it for me. Um, I, I really like the way Pelletier draws her better. I think he, like I said, it's more of a classic comic book look. And I think she just, she looks more natural in her body as opposed to something that's been inflated. Um, she looks stronger for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's just that her muscles look more like muscles. Pelletier has gone to the trouble of, of giving her some definition. So her muscles look more like real muscles rather than just kind of laid over the top. And, you know, she, it's great that she's so strong and she just kind of tosses things around. And in these six issues... I haven't seen any um, stereotypical female stuff come up for her. She's not stressed out about boys or, you know, um, if her skin is moisturized enough or anything. It's just really refreshing to see a female character who's not all torn up about the stupid um, stereotypical female things that a lot of characters seem to get themselves all twisted up about. Her attitude is much more like, hey, I'm She-Hulk and I'm huge and powerful and fuck, I love being She-Hulk and I think that's a great attitude to have. So I like these. I like them quite a lot and I can definitely recommend them. Um, if they didn't have the humor attached to them, they wouldn't be nearly so good, but I'm really glad to see Dan Slott playing up a lot of the, the funny stuff that's in them. I went to Wikipedia and I looked up to see um, what had happened in the She-Hulk series since issue six, and apparently lots of stuff has gone on, and it looks like it's gotten maybe just a little too complicated for me. But if the library has them, I will definitely read them. So I want to take a little break and then get back. I've got a couple of mini-reviews to get to and then some other news that I want to talk
thing I wanted to talk about a little bit more. And this is a book that I'm so glad that I have. In looking it up on Wikipedia, it says that the initial print run was not very large and it's difficult to find. And I have one! This is called Tales from the Bully Pulpit. And it was written by Benito Sereno, art by Graham MacDonald. And Ron Riley is the colorist, and I do want to mention him because the coloring in this is so good. It's a graphic novel, the plot of which is that Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, steals H.G. Wells' time machine, which looks like it does in the movie, Time Machine, and comes to the present to go to Thomas Edison's laboratory, where he meets the ghost of Thomas Edison, and the two of them take off in the time machine to go have adventures. What a great plot. I mean, can you come up with a better plot than that? I think it's just awesome. And... It, it has special meaning for me, of course, because where I grew up in New Jersey was right where Thomas Edison's laboratory was. So I'm looking at these pictures going, I know where all this stuff is. It's great. It's awesome. Teddy Roosevelt as an action hero and Thomas Edison as his sidekick, pretty much. The intelligent, um, less than corporeal sidekick. And in this graphic novel, the people that, th- the villains, is in the future a descendant of Adolf Hitler who wants to cause civil war on Mars. And if that doesn't get you, I mean, come on, how much better can you get? The art in this is really good. It kind of reminds me of uh, the art that you used to see in heavy metal when they would do science fiction. It's kind of, uh, the colors are just beautiful. They're very shiny and burnished looking and um, they, they don't look like cla- the classic comic book art. It's, it's a little chunkier, but it's great, and it's perfect. It's perfectly suited for it, and it is so funny. Um, the descendants of Adolf Hitler, the, the kid who's like his great-great-grandson, they speak this weird um, amalgam of English, German, and Spanish, and uh, the chapter headings are all reflective of that. Um, let's see, what's chapter two called? Buenas noches, mein Führer, and... Uh, it's it's like cartoony, bordering on just over the top, but not really. And the machi- I like the way the machinery is all drawn in here. The aliens in here are drawn really cool. There's a little kid who looks just like Beast Boy. There are, of course, lots and lots of jokes in here that refer to other comic books and movies, things like that. And Teddy is a great action hero, tossing off one-liners as he's... Uh, you know, defeating the enemy. There's a great, um, chapter three has a picture of him posed a little like Shazam. He's got the lightning bolt on his chest. And of course, good triumphs over evil. Um, right at the very end, uh, in the, the big standoff between Teddy Roosevelt, Thomas Edison, and the descendant of Hitler, uh, Hitler says, Ich habe amassed an army the likes of which the world has never seen. So because he has access to, uh, you know, time travel and stuff, he's got Julius Caesar, uh, Chairman Mao, and then Chairman Mao's interdimensional anthropomorphic counterpart, Chairman Meow, and it's Chairman Mao with a cat head who says Meow. Um, De Terror of Israel, Goliath of Gath, and Saddam Hussein. So it, it's just like, you know, a Star Trek episode where they get the biggest villains throughout the whole galaxy in history to be pitted against Teddy Roosevelt and Thomas Edison in their time machine. So on their side, they have um, Theseus, inventor of democracy and wrestling, um, Cicero, who's the fearless defender of the Roman Republic, Paul Bunyan, 60, <coughs> excuse me, 63 axe handles high, and Ben Franklin, um, in <laughs> statesman, inventor, and swimming hall of famer, and Ben Franklin, as his costume is wearing a Franklin stove. 
Um, and then he also gets a, a future version of himself, Teddy Roosevelt, to help kick the shit out of the bad guys. Oh, and Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln is the secret weapon. It's just great. I love this. It's so much fun. It's so much in the style of, you know, golden age, rock'em, sock'em comics. But with this great, weird science fiction twist to it, I really love this book. I can't recommend it too highly. Now, um, the artist has been doing some other stuff, uh, and he says that Tales from the Bully Pulpit, Volume 2, Legend of the Black Mariah, is supposed to be published, but he hasn't given a print date for it yet. Oh, by the way, Bully Pulpit is the name of the time machine. That's why it's called that. So, what a great book. I'm, I'm just so happy. Thank you, Robert, for sending it to me. I love it. So two very quick reviews of books that I'm going to talk about in shows later on, but I just wanted to mention that I have them. One of them is Valentine, Red Rain, which is a graphic novel by Dan Cooney, and it's about an assassin who's trying to escape her former life as an assassin, but ends up getting drawn back into it. And it takes place in San Francisco, which is kind of cool, um, looking at all the local stuff. And she, uh, in, in this collection, she uh, has to confront the Russian mafia. And the plot is really... Um, complicated, but in a good way because it is crime and mafia and all that kind of stuff. And I like the art. It's in black and white, but it's very, very vivid. Hopefully, I'm going to have an interview with Dan Cooney sometime soon. And when I do that, I will spend more time talking about this book. But I liked it quite a lot. And then another thing that I liked is Brownsville, which I've been waiting for it for like a year and a half now. And I think I talked about it in a previous show, but it's finally published by NBM in a beautiful hardcover copy. Um, And I got it and read through it immediately. And again, I'm hoping to get an interview with um, the writer, Neil Clyde, to talk about it because I think it's one of those uh, rare slice of real life historical graphic novels that's that's really important. Kind of like Mouse, it deals with a different subject matter, but it's it's real and gritty in that way. So I'm just so pleased to have this. So I will definitely talk about this more in the future. Um, a couple more things I wanted to get in, which is that the Alternative Press Expo is happening next weekend, and I'm going to be there for part of it anyway, trying to interview people. I think I have an interview set up with Carol Tyler, who is uh, the author of Late Bloomer that I reviewed a couple of shows ago, which I really, really loved. I've been a big fan of hers for a long time, and she's got her own panel discussion, which is very exciting. So I should be talking to her after that. Um, Here's the gay porn section, so put your fingers in your ears if you don't want to hear it, straight fanboys. One of my favorite gay porn comics, Sticky, is being collected in a hardcover, which is coming out um, in uh, April. Maybe it's a little bit later, but it's available for pre-order from Amazon and from Powell's right now, and I've put in a link to that. That's going to be a good thing to have. And then the artist on Sticky, Steve McIsaac, has a new collection coming out, which is actually going to debut at Ape, and it's called Shirtlifter, which sounds really good. There's sex in it, but he says that it's more an emotional story, a story about a relationship. He's put up some previews of the art at his site, and it looks really good. I just love his style, and he's included quite a bit of cityscapes, and I really like the way he draws cityscapes as well. So I might even get the chance to talk to him at Alternative Press Expo as well. Um, If anybody is going to the Alternative Press Expo and wants to say hello, let me know. You know, drop me an email, lena at troubledscience.com, and maybe we can arrange to meet at a table or something. I was planning on going on Saturday in the afternoon and maybe sticking around until it closed. So I will be there, and I'll probably be wearing my I Heart LT t-shirt so I can um, love myself even more than I already do, if that's even possible. 
So I think that's going to wrap it up for now. Um, the next show, we'll hopefully have some interviews and uh, more stuff that I need to review. So once again, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for your emails. Thanks for sending me comics. Thanks for sending me other stuff, DVDs and sound files and links, people who send me links to things that I might be interested in looking at. I love getting all that stuff. You guys are great. And now I'm going to go work on my Steve Merchant fan page. <laughs> While we got rest and recreation